Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. So hear now Psalm 51, 1 through 15. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in, my, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice." Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with the willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. And so, Lord, we do pray, Lord, that... uh, we would just hear the story of your reckless love towards David, and we would hear your story of your reckless love towards us today. And that through this, we might understand the joy of confession, of being healed, of being cleaned, of being made new. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Some of us are awful at apologizing. Um, It may be your spouse, it may be your kids, it may be your parents, it may be you, right? Um, That that we are just really, really bad at saying, I'm sorry. Um, Or we might get the words, I'm sorry out, but we won't really say what we are sorry for, right? And some of us just really have this struggle of apologizing. And I sort of wondered, like, why is apologizing so difficult? What is it about this sort of nature of telling another person, I'm sorry, um, that, is, that is difficult for us. And so I, I did a little bit of research, and, and then I sort of put these things together of like, what is it that makes apologizing so difficult? And I think one part of apologizing is so difficult is that apologizing requires humility, that if I'm going to apologize, then I'm going to have to admit that I did something wrong, that I'm going to have to say that I need help. I need something. I can't do it myself. And so it requires humility to go to another person and to say that you are sorry. 
Another reason why I think apologies are so difficult is that it embraces consequences. Is that if I go to somebody and I say I'm sorry, then I might have to deal with um, the uncomfortableness of having to talk about this, or I might, or I might have to receive consequences for it. I think about sometimes why businesses or organizations won't apologize is because that would admit fault and they could be sued if they admitted fault. They don't want to have to deal with the consequences that could come out of it. I think also another reason, and this is a deeper human reason, is that apologies cede control to somebody or something else. Is that, is that when I apologize, I'm putting myself into somebody's hands. I, I'm saying I'm sorry, and no longer do I have control of the situation, but I give it to them. What are they going to do with it? Are they going to forgive me or not? Are they going to make me do something or not? I no longer am in control. And then finally, I think one of the reasons why apologies are hard is because we risk rejection is we can go to somebody and we can say, I'm sorry. We could give the best apology that we can come up with, and they may say, well, that's not enough. I will not forgive you. You haven't done enough. You haven't earned enough. You are not worthy of being forgiven. And so we put ourselves out there. We risk rejection. And so for a lot of reasons, you and I are really, really bad at apologizing in our world. And it's because we're very human and we, we want to avoid pain. We want to avoid uncomfortableness. We want to not have the consequences. We don't want to experience rejection or fear. We want to keep control. And so we struggle to apologize. And so kids, I invite you in, in box one to write down someone who you need to apologize to. Is there someone that you need to apologize to? And so I think what we have is because we are not good at, at apologizing, we have a world that doesn't know how to do it, that doesn't know how to say I'm sorry and doesn't know how to truly and really forgive. And I think the best way for us to learn how to apologize in our relationships with one another, in our families, in our places of work, is to actually practice apologizing and confessing our sins to God. And the reason why is because of the nature of God. 1 John 1.9 says it this way, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So while another human being may not forgive us, while they may reject us, here we have a guarantee from God that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us. It is a guarantee that we are forgiven of our sins if we confess them. But yet so many of us hesitate to confess our sins even to God. And so we are guaranteed forgiveness. We are guaranteed his grace. He will purify us if we can just come to God. And so for us, I think as people, we have to understand that we can come to God and that we have to practice this confession, this apologizing to God. And so let me tell you a story. It's a story of one of the best known Bible characters, a guy by the name of David. Now, you know David from the story of David and Goliath. He later became um, King David. He was called a man after God's own heart. He was a tremendous figure in the Old Testament. Um, but his story is not just all butterflies and roses, but there is a very dark season of David's life. And I, I want to go through this dark season to just tell you how terrible David was, all right? If you want to feel better about yourself, just listen to how bad David was during this dark season of his life. Um, in 2 Samuel 11, we hear the story of, of David, and it begins with these, uh, with these words, when kings were going off to war, David stayed home. 
And so the very first thing we, we hear about David in this context is that David was not upholding his responsibilities of being a king because everybody, all the other kings were supposed to go off to war to lead their men in battle. Meanwhile, David stayed at his house. And then the, the sinfulness continues. He, he, climb, he gets to the, the top of his house, which is the tallest building in town, and he can look down and see his kingdom. And so he goes out looking for trouble, and sure enough, he finds it. He lusts after a woman named Bathsheba. And then being the king, he gets what he wants, and so he has her brought to his house in which they have an affair together. Now, um, in, in those days, it would have been called an affair, but if this was to happen today, undoubtedly this would be considered a rape because of the power dynamics that ex existed between David and Bathsheba. She conceived a child, and so now he was worried because it was about to become public knowledge what, what he did. So what did he do with He tried to find a way to cover up. This is the nature of humanity, right? We mess up. Oh, no, we don't want to be in trouble. Let's find a way to cover it up. We all do this. This was David's way of covering up his sin with Bathsheba. So he had Uriah, which was Bathsheba's husband, come home um, and hoping that they would be together so they could say that the child was his. But Uriah refused. And Uriah wanted to be with his men, and he wasn't going to take pleasure while he was home away from them. And so David's mind was spinning because his initial plan of covering up his sin was not working. So he had to go to plan B, which was to have Uriah killed. And so he sent Uriah back to the front lines, and um, he had Uriah charged. He had everybody else retreat, and Uriah was killed. And David was responsible for his murder. Meanwhile, then David swoops in, marries Bathsheba so he can be the hero in this story, and he thinks all is well. His pride has gotten the best of him. His arrogance makes him think that's okay, and he is the king, and he can do what he wants. So let's look over David's little adventure here and all of the sins. He advocated his responsibility as king. He lusted. He um, sexual assault. There was the cover-up. There was the murder, and there was the pride of getting away with it. I don't know what you've done, all right? But most of us, I don't think, have, have gotten quite to David's level of sinfulness in one little season, all right? This is a story of reckless love. This is a story of great forgiveness. This is a story of grace. And so in the midst of this story, there's a prophet named Nathan who is called to go to David. Imagine this job that Nathan has. We want you to go to the most powerful person, and tell him he's wrong. The last person who kind of got in his way, he had killed. Good luck, Nathan, right? And so Nathan goes to David and he tells him a story. And it's amazing how sometimes the stories of other people can reveal the stories of ourselves. And so that's actually one reason why the Bible is so good for us to read and to study, because in the stories of other people, we can find our own stories and God will speak truth. And so in this story, Nathan told him, about two persons. There was a rich man who had all sorts of animals and livestock who had a great deal. And there was a poor man who had one little lamb, and it was precious to him. When a visitor came to the rich man, and they were going to hold a feast, instead of, of killing one of his own livestock and serving that, he instead killed the little lamb that belonged to the poor man and had it for the feast for dinner. Now what happened is that David was angry. Our scripture tells us here, David burned with anger against the man 
and said to Nathan. And this is what happens when we see the sins of others, especially very clearly. For some reason, we have the ability to see other people's sin and brokenness a way easier than we can see our own. We burn with anger like David, and we say stuff like what David said, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. And so what David thought was happening is because he's the king and he can proclaim things, is that he thought that he was pronouncing judgment on somebody. This wasn't a story. This was something that actually happened in his kingdom. So Nathan was saying, he thought Nathan was saying, so David, what are we supposed to do about it? And so David said, surely this man must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then Nathan said these words, you are the man. And with those words, David broke because he realized that he was the man in this story who had everything and took from someone who barely had anything. And David said, I have sinned against the Lord. And then he wrote down this psalm that we read earlier in our scripture reading, Psalm 51, this prayer, this poem of his contrition to God. And it was this figurative slap on the face that drove David to his knees. And sometimes that's what has to happen to us is that we have to take this sort of figurative slap in the face before we finally realize our own sin, our own brokenness, and we, we have to apologize to God and to others. And so kids in box two, I invite you to draw a picture of David apologizing to God. What does it look like when he writes this poem or this um, psalm that we have? Now, as, as we read this, I think it's really important for us because we have to learn how to confess our sins to God. Whether we've done what David has done or we've done totally different things, it's important for us. And in this psalm, we can see sort of some keys to confession. And so we're just going to kind of walk through this together. The first key to confession is having a posture of humility, of knowing who can give us mercy and to falling on our knees before them. We hear it here at the very beginning, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. And so he goes to God with a posture of humility. He can't do the forgiveness of his sins by himself. He needs God. And this is how we have to start out, is with the posture of humility, knowing we need God. Not that person needs God. They may need God too, but it's not our responsibility to confess on their behalf. We need God in this posture. Have mercy on me. Oh, God. Now, the next thing that we have to do is that we have to acknowledge that there are problems that we've created, that, that we have done things, and we've done specific things that have hurt God, that have hurt ourselves, and that have hurt other people. Here's what he says in verse 3. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. He, he recognizes what he has done, what was wrong, and he acknowledges it, that there are problems that he has created. I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He goes on then, and, and one of the things that I, I love about the Psalms is there's always hopefulness in it. And so he makes petitions of hope based on who God is. He makes petitions of, of God, what you can do when I allow you to, when I open myself to you, believing in the power of God. I mean, this is what he says in, in verse 6. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. That when we fully reveal ourselves to God, when we fully open up our heart, even those places we don't want to, God moves 
And God brings us truth, and truth sets us free. Truth of God sets us free to live for him. And he believes that God can cleanse him. It says, purge me with hyssop in verse 7, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And so this is hopefulness that what God can do. Verse 8 says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Now, uh, back in October, we, we had the, the series, uh, The Way in the Wilderness, and we sang Waymaker. Um, and we had all these names for God, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Light in the Darkness. Nowhere did we sing Bone Crusher. But this is what this scripture says, is that God is the bone crusher. Now, this sort of sets us funny because we don't think that broke, broken bones is good. I imagine there's some people out here and you may be recently recovering from a broken bone and you're thinking, I don't want these bones that I've broken rejoice. What does that mean for us? But as, as we hear this story, here's what I know, and I'm not a doctor or a nurse or anything like that, but there are sometimes that if the broken bone is not set right, it's not going to heal right. It's not going to grow right. And so there are some times in which surgeons and doctors, they have to break a bone in order for it to heal correctly. And there are some things in our life that have to be broken. There are some things in our life that have to die so that something new can live and rise. And so we have to experience brokenness to experience wholeness. I remember this uh, old song I used to sing at camp, but uh, holiness, holiness is what I long for. I don't know if anybody remembers that one. Um, but part of it was brokenness. Brokenness is what I long for. We have to long to experience the brokenness of God through his healing grace. Now it goes on, as, as we go on, part of our, our, our prayer, our confession to God also needs to remind us that there can be purpose from our pain and that we can find that redemption. In verse 10, it says this, Create in me a clean heart, and renew a right spirit within me. Let this darkness allow new light to shine. Allow this dirtiness, let it be a, a time to cleanse my heart. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And maybe some of you have lost the joy of, of being saved. Maybe, maybe you accepted Christ when you were 12, and that was a few years ago, and, and you've lost the joy. Part of the thing of when we experience grace anew is that we can have a, re a restoration of joy, that there can be a purpose from our pain as we begin to rely again on the grace of God. And verse 13 is often our, our pain and our sorrows and our sins. There can be redemption not only for ourselves, but for other people. David writes these words, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. And this is who God is, is that he can take our brokenness and our darkness and he can use it and redeem it for good and for others. And so sometimes we have gotten our most encouragement from people who have gone from darkness into marvelous light and they can become a beacon of testimony for us. And God can use your sin he can use your sorrow. He uses David's story from 3,000 years ago, and he still uses it to teach people about his reckless love and his amazing grace. And the last thing that we do whenever we confess is that we have to praise him for his grace. Verse 15 says, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. 
is that that's one reason why when we, when we come here and we worship, then we can sing about being free, we can sing about the grace of God, and that we can praise him for what he has done and for who he is. Now, as we, as we go back to the story of David, um, one of the things that is important for us to see is that God forgives him. I mean, that is actually a pretty instant thing that, that God does for him, is that he forgives him. Nathan says, the Lord has put away your sin, you shall not die. And so the consequences of sin is death, but here Nathan proclaims that he is, he is forgiven and that his sins will not cause his death. But I want to make sure that we understand what, what really forgiveness of sins from God is and what it isn't. So when we are forgiven of our sins, we are forgiven from the guilt of sin and from the power of sin, but we still have to live with the consequences of our sin, all right? And so here's how I understand that. So um, anytime we, we mess up, we carry this weight around of our brokenness, all right? And there are some of us who, um, you know, we talk about baggage we bring into relationships. We, we carry our baggage with us of, of all the things that we've done, of things that have been done to us. And God wants to forgive us of, of our guilt so that we don't have to walk around and, and feel like, oh my goodness, I've let everybody down. I'm a complete and total failure. Life is not worth living. That's not words from God. He frees us from the guilt of what we've done so we don't have to walk around in shame anymore. He frees us from the power of sin, which means those things that we've done, he can free us from so that we don't do them again. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. If you had a pattern of sinful behavior, God can free you from the power of sin when we confess that, all right? But we still have to live with the consequences of our sin. And so the consequences for David's sin was that this son who was going to be born would die. And he would have to deal with that grief of the loss of life and brokenness. And that was a part of his consequences. And so when we talk about receiving freedom and forgiveness from God, it doesn't mean we don't ever have to face some music. We still have to face the music of the sin and darkness that we've added to the world. But it just means we don't have to carry it around and we don't, get to, we don't have to walk with it in the future. He can free us from that. And that we can truly be free, both from our past and our future. And so kids in box three, I invite you to draw a picture of what does it feel like to be forgiven? What does it feel like to experience grace in that way? And so one of the things I say up here frequently is I don't know your story, but I know that you have one. And I don't know what you've done. I don't know if, if when you heard the story of David, you thought, well, Aaron, you don't know my story. I've done quite a bit of stuff. I may not have done exactly what he did, but I did some of it. But here's the truth of why I think this story matters. is that the God who forgave David and instilled him in such a place of responsibility and power can forgive any of us and will forgive any of us if we ask. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. And he will forgive us. And this is the good news. No matter what you've done, no matter what you said, no matter who you've hurt, no matter how long it's been, God's grace is more than enough for us. And we receive that. Grace in, grace out. Grace in, grace out. As we've been, um, I think this is week three of our, of our series here on Dare to Forgive. If you've missed the first two weeks, I'd invite you to go back because it really laid the foundation of, of where we are. It is this pattern of receiving grace from God and giving grace to others. Grace in, grace out. This is the pattern and the rhythm 
of the Christian life. Now, the reason why this is hard for us is because oftentimes the way that our heart looks, the way that our life looks, it looks more like a clogged pipe than it does an open one, all right? That, that our life more looks like the, the pipe on the left than the one on the right, is that our hearts are full with this gunk of unconfessed sin, of this gunk of past burdens and of hurt. And what happens is, is that limits the amount of grace that can come in and it limits the amount of the grace that can come out. And also that sometimes we have the best intentions to do well, but because we've got all this gunk in our pipes and in our hearts, all right, sometimes what come out doesn't come out as well, right? I mean, would you want to drink water from that pipe on the left? Right? We are, we are broken people. And the way to get rid of this gunk is through confession. Is that, is that confession is draino for the soul. It clears out the pipes of our hearts and it opens up a path for this grace to flow in and this grace to flow out. And so let me just run through real quickly again. How do we confess our sins? All right? We adopt a, a posture of humility. And we say that this is really saying, God, show me. Most of us don't have self We don't examine our own sin. We don't examine our own life very well. We, we examine other people's lives pretty well, but we don't take time to do this on a daily basis, which is what would be ideal, um, or even on a weekly basis to say, Lord, is there any, what, show me. Show me where I'm missing the boat. Show me where I've fallen short. Show me. All right, we have to adopt a posture of humility. Lord, show me what is broken what I have done. Sometimes there are sins that we do that we don't even recognize till later. All right. Then the next step is to acknowledge our problems. That's to say, God, I'm sorry. And I think it's best to say specifically, God, I'm sorry for this thing that I said to this person. God, I'm sorry for my attitude as it relates to this. Um, whatever it would be, we have to take responsibility, acknowledge that we have made, we have added to it. The next thing is we have to absorb the hope that God would have. This is saying, God, heal me. On these petitions of hope, believing and trusting that God is going to be faithful and just, that he will do what he said, that he can and will forgive our sins, that he can and will heal us. This is the nature of God. That we need to ask for purpose. Lord, God, can you redeem this? Can you redeem this in me? Can you create in me a clean heart? Can you help me to teach transgressors your way? Can I, can I show a light to people who feel there's no way? Can, can I be so broken, Lord, that, that you somehow pick up the pieces and mold me back anew, and that encourages and inspires others? Lord, what is the purpose for this pain? I don't believe that God does things so that we experience pain, but I believe God redeems things. And the last thing that we need to do when we go to God in prayer and we confess our sins is we adore God for his grace. We thank God that we have received forgiveness and we trust in that. And so we say, God, you are good and you are good to us. And we receive that. And that becomes part of our life and our rhythm and our healing and our wholeness. Now, I was tempted to be done right here. Now, this is a dangerous thing for a preacher to say, is that I could be done, but I'm not quite done yet. All right. Because, because for some of us, this would be a big step. If we did this right there, if we, if we regularly confessed our sins to God, this would be a big thing. Um, and I would encourage you that if you do it and you pray, I would say pray out loud or write it down because there's something that, that, that happens when we say it or when we write it down. That concreteness matters a great deal. But, but, but to be your pastor means I don't get to be done when I want to be done, but instead we get to be done when God says that we're done. 
And so this is what God says to us. This is James chapter 5, verse 16. Because confession is not just between us and God. This is what it says. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So, so God forgives us. That's between us and God. But healing comes from community. God did not just say, hey, just keep it between me and you and all will be well. No, he knows the value of community. One thing that I've learned during this pandemic is how important community is for people who walk and work and live and celebrate God together also need to confess and be broken with one another. This is actually one of the things I think that Catholics have done really well. Um, is that they actually have this right of confession. I was actually tempted to set up a confessional booth somewhere here in the sanctuary, all right, so that people could practice it in a safe way where they don't have to look at somebody, all right, they can just hear it, right? Um, and we, as, 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 as Protestants, as people not part of the Catholic Church, we don't confess our sins very well. We don't have the same mechanism. Now, in the Methodist Church, we have a, a group called Band Meetings, which is actually designed to help people to do this, um, and I'd love to talk to you more about that, about a way to practice to confess your sins to each other, all right? But I think it's so important that we confess our sins together. And I'm not just saying that I want it for you, but I want it something that I've had an experience with. So I've shared before a little bit about my own recovery story, but part of that was going through the Celebrate Recovery 12 Steps. And, and one of the, it was one of the more life-changing, humbling, grace-filled terrible, amazing time of my life. So step four in the 12 steps, it says this, make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. That's a way to ruin a Saturday, y'all. And so as I was going through the steps and um, I, I was told to, to do this, and one of the things that my sponsor, a guy by the name of Gary, told me to do is he said, um, he said don't, just, don't just list all the bad things. List the good things. This is a, a full inventory. The good and the bad. What's on the shelf? What have you done well? What have you not done well? And so I took some time and I, I wrote down some of the things, specific things. Some good things I've done. But I also wrote down some of the bad things I've done. Some of the things I didn't want anybody to know. I didn't want, any, I didn't want to even put them on the paper because I thought that means it was real. And but I did, because I trust the process of grace. So I wrote these things down, and it took a while, and came back to it, and, and then I got to go to step five. Step five is this, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. And so um, I climbed up the stairs to Gary's office, and I had my paper, my inventory, the things I didn't want to admit to God, to myself, or especially to another human being, the exact nature of my wrongs, the things that even though I had experienced forgiveness, there was still shame because I hadn't spoke those things out of me and into the world. You see, what happens is if we don't write them down and if we don't speak them out, they stay with us. But when we say them, they leave us. This is the beauty of confession of sins is that they leave us and healing can come in. But instead, we choose to have a pipe that is all full of gunk and dirt and rust and who knows what else, because we don't want to get it out of us. But confession is about being healed. 
And so I, I go up to Gary's office, and um, it was really weird and awkward, because I'm sitting here, and he's sitting there, and he said, Aaron, are you ready? I said, yes, I think. And um, he said, okay, you can start. And you're, and I don't, like, it's like, well, do I just start with the worst thing I've ever done first? Or do I save that for the end, right? Like, do I build it up? Do I just get it over with? Or do I just try to hide it somewhere in the middle, right? So maybe he didn't realize it as much. So I just start at the top. And I tell him things I didn't want anybody in the world to know. And then he said these words to me. After I said the first thing, he said, God has given us authority under his name to proclaim the forgiveness of sins to one another. So he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, Aaron, you are forgiven. And those words just washed over me. And I believed them. And I held on to them. Then I went to the next thing on my list. Told him this terrible thing. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, Aaron, you are forgiven. And then it got easier and easier and easier. I'm not going to tell you how long my list was, all right? But what I am going to tell you is that I was healed. And that, that I'm still being healed. I practice confession on a weekly basis through my band meeting. It is what I think we all need. Now, some of you aren't going to be ready for that, honestly. But I hope one day you are. And I want you to take a courageous step of confession today. To, to, to choose, and, and kids, I'm going to invite you to do this too, but adults, this one's just as much for you, is to write down the name of a person that you would feel safe to confess to. Who is the person or the people that you would feel safe to confess to? Those things you don't want anybody else to know. Because they can proclaim the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ to you. So write down this person. Think about it in your head. And one day God is going to prompt you. And it may be today, it may be tomorrow, it may be two years from now to say, hey, now's the time. Confess your sins one to another and you will be healed. And that's what God wants for each and every one of us is to do that. If I can help, if I could be that person for you, I'd be honored to do that. I'd be honored to proclaim forgiveness over you in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's actually what we do as part of the body of Christ is that we proclaim God's forgiveness and his grace to one another. And we help heal one another as we do this. And the more that we can confess our sins to God and say, I'm sorry to God, who we are guaranteed to receive forgiveness, the better we're going to be at being graceful, forgiving people, who when somebody apologizes to us, we can give forgiveness. And also we're going to be willing to accept our own responsibility and apologize to others. Grace in, grace out. Oh, what a beautiful journey it is for each and every one of us. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.